Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your hosts, Father Shane Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of Outcast Catholic. I'm Father Shane Demon. I'm Father Travis Crotty, and it's great to be with you. You know, one of Absolutely. the things that our one of the things that our uh, listeners probably don't realize is that sometimes when we are kind of batty and losing our place and like. Oh, this is sounding a little disjointed. Usually our cell phones are always going off. You yeah, know what right. I'm saying? That was what we was get, going on. We get more calls and more Last text episode. messages right when the cell phones are going off, or right when we start recording. Yes. It's like everyone needs our time and attention right then. You All know? the time, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's meant to be. Um, we'll, we'll have to follow up with all those people. Thank God that there's voicemail <laughs> messages and text messages can Speaking sit there waiting. Speaking people, I have yes. just been hearing more and more about different uh, and new folks who've been listening to the podcast. So. Really? Shout out to those folks uh, yeah. if you're a new listener. I um, heard about people, too, kind of going back and listening to older episodes, which is uh-huh. kind of fun. We should take a moment to do a few sh- uh, shout-outs. Do you have uh, a couple? Yeah. Ben Barron up in the Twin Cities. Um, I know from the University of St. Thomas. We're on a big uh, big College Buddies uh, texting group. Ah. He's been listening in. <laughs> uh, Liz Albanicius from Sioux City. She's out in New York City uh, with okay. the New York Dance Company right now. Uh, she texted me and said, you know, I walk around New York just kind of listening and I'm always laughing at you guys. So for all the New Yorkers who think Liz, <laughs> for all the New Yorkers who thinks that Liz is just crazy, like laughing to herself, walking down the street, right. she's there just laughing cra- at us. There are crazier <laughs> things in New York, you know, that yeah. happen. But yeah, she's just laughing at us. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I'm glad we have funny things to make you laugh, Liz. So yeah. thanks for that. Another listener, um, Mandy Keel of Sioux City, she emailed me earlier this summer and she said, um, you know, Father Shane, Father Travis, you were talking about the Vacation Plus Jesus ah. episode way back, like in June, maybe late May, yeah. as people were kind of planning like their summer holidays. And she said, talk some more about your travels. Oh, And that's not something that I often talk about. Um, you know, I think we've probably mentioned on this show before that um, then Bishop DiNardo, before he became Archbishop of Galveston, Houston, yeah assigned me to study theology at the North American College in Rome. But I don't sit around and just like drop Roman you, stories all day long. Instead of flex, I mean like, I know you don't like to flex on that, but people always ask me why some men are, are invited to go study in Rome. And, and some Catholics don't even know that, but when they find out like we're, we have Zach Jones Seminary in here at my parish for a couple months this summer, sure. who's also studying at the North American College in Rome, they're just kind of confused, like, wait, what? Some guys go to Rome, some guys go to St. Louis or St. Paul or something? Well, I, I don't know exactly why then Bishop DiNardo assigned me to Rome. Sure. Um, I mean, there there's a few things. It's it's a great opportunity to let men study in the kind of near the heart of the church. Mm-hmm. Did not necessarily get involved in Vatican politics. That's not the point. But the heart of the church as uh, where the tombs of Peter and Paul, the princes yeah. of the church are, yeah. who gave their life in witness to Christ— um, I mean, literally from the blood of martyrs sp- springs forth the, the life of the church, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're there and you're kind of learning about the historical um, churches, but also the tombs of all these great witnesses of the faith, uh, that's a very formative experience. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's good for a diocese to have people with that formation. I think it enriches, enri- enriches the diocese. Um, I suppose this is, you know, 
we've run the risk of this in the past of maybe having like some intellectual inbreeding. Mm. You know, if guys are always in the same seminary and they're always saying, hearing the same things, you know, a diocese can be enriched by having different perspectives right. from, from different seminary uh, formation programs. And with the academic side, sometimes men receive higher degrees that are were in the past a little bit more harder to receive in the States. Right. Different licenses or doctorates. Right? Yeah, that was the next thing I was going to say. When, when you do send a man to Rome, he can be um, kind of on a track, if you will, academically mm-hmm. to receive what we would call a licentiate degree. Um, it's a five-year program working through a bachelor's of sacred theology and a, and a license of, of sacred theology, right. um, which is, you know, academically speaking, perhaps a, a slightly higher degree than a, an, an MA, mm-hmm. um, qualifying him to, to do some more teaching, whether that's a diaconate program or in schools or, or various education right. institutions. And there's a, there's a lot of specializations that can come with that. You could get a, a licentiate or a doctorate in fundamental theology, moral theology, dogmatic theology, liturgy. scripture, canon law, liturgy, right. Mariology, um, spiritual theology, things like that. So those those academic degrees can help enrich a diocese mm. when a man comes home from a program like that. Right. So one of the things I was going to mention, um, I've had the opportunity on two occasions to go to restaurants. And this is going to sound a little exo- exotic, and I'm not trying to flex here. Okay, I've had... I've had an opportunity to go to two different restaurants in uh, overseas that were um, historically based. Um, okay. So let me explain. Uh, I was traveling with a couple of priest friends, and we were in Istanbul, Turkey. Okay, um, which is cool. Very cool, beautiful city. You know, right used down to, used to be called Constantinople. Yes, used to be called Constantinople. Exactly. Um, you know, people might not think of, of Turkey as a real Christian pilgrimage site, but, you know, in its roots, very, very yeah. Christian with the uh, the footsteps of St. Paul and some of the great councils. Uh, Nicaea, the Council of Constantinople, obviously was held in Constantinople. Hagia Sophia. Hagia Sophia, one of the great churches of the, of the ancient world. Um, in, I forget exactly which church it was outside of, but one of the priests I was traveling with, he had arranged for us to go tour this ancient church, this patristic church. Mm. And then we had lunch nearby at a restaurant that was all historic. I mean, it was a modern restaurant. Yeah. But the entire menu was the recipes from, I think, the 16th century kitchen of the Turkish Sultan. Wow. Um, so these were all royalty menu items. Ah. Um, now, and you wouldn't necessarily know that. I mean, it's not like they were serving as gold plates. Right. It was a normal restaurant, but the the recipes right. were all from the the royal sultan's palace. Do you remember any of these dishes? Well, what I I do remember having is um, it was a chicken dish with lots of Mediterranean spices, yeah. and and you could probably get this dish in Morocco, yeah, Egypt, right. Israel, Turkey, Greece, wherever across the Mediterranean world. But there was um there was a lot of grapes. Or there was raisins and cinnamon. Um, cloves, mm. um, heavy salt and pepper. I mean, it was just a really yeah. intense Mediterranean spice chicken dish, which was great. Yeah, and and it's someone not told you that this is you know from a, the table of the Sultan, himself. right? A recipe that's probably four hundred, five hundred years old. Right. If someone had not told you that, you would have just thought, well, it's like a Mediterranean chicken dish. Yeah, with like lots of North African spices. Mm-hmm. You know, which was great. And then uh, I was also in Vilnius, Lithuania. Uh, Lithuanian food is the best, so I hope you have a restaurant story here. I do. 
Good. Yes. So we were in Vilnius, and we this priest and I went to Vilnius because we both have Lithuanian roots in parts of our family history. And this particular priest, uh, Father Andrew Lagmidas from Chicago, um, speaks Lithuanian. Mm. And I thought, well, when am I going to have a chance to go to Lithuania with someone who speaks Lithuanian? So I better go. Um, so we were we were doctoral students in Rome. So we flew up to uh, Lithuania for a weekend, took a break from the studies just to go experience some of our, our family's roots. And um, he had arranged this where the original Divine Mercy image ah, yes. is in Vilnius. Ah. And it, it's quite large. And you can go visit it. It's in a neighborhood parish. Um, that was the one that I don't think Faustina really liked very much. Ah. And then she had another artist redo it. And that's the more famous one in Poland. But the, the, origi- original, the original, if I'm not mistaken, is in Vilnius. Our listeners can correct me if I'm wrong. But then in that neighborhood of the church was this restaurant where all the menu items were from the royal palace of like the king or the head duke of, of Lithuania. The sultan from Istanbul. No. <laughs> not the sultan from Istanbul. But like the, the Christian king from um, the medieval palace of ah, Lithuania or yeah. Poland or you know, because you know the borders changed, and the the kingdom of Lithuania at one time was enormous, mm. stretching across probably Belarus now and, and now Poland. It's quite small, it is. But at one yeah. time, the medieval kind of duke yeah, right. of um, you know the the duke's kingdom right. was actually quite large, mm. and so this entire restaurant was based on menu items from the medieval royal palace, right. and I, I remember they served. Um, it, was, it looked like a volcano of mashed potatoes, but it was dyed green because there were so many herbs. It wasn't like wasabi <laughs> green. It was like yeah. herbs green. It was like this huge, huge mound of mashed potatoes that had kind of almost looked like a bread bowl because the, the, the center crater was carved out and they served like this really rich, delicious beef stew Okay, in this kind of that mound sounds... of this volcano of mashed potatoes. What's, what's funny with that is I've been to one Lithuanian, Lithuanian restaurant in Chicago, which was some of the best food I've ever had, but it's basically just what can you do with potatoes and like meat? Like meat, that's, meat and potatoes. Yeah. yeah. There's like the big sampler thing came out and they had these things called potato sausages, which were just mashed potatoes shaped like sausage. Okay. <laughs> just potatoes. <laughs> then they had these things called Zeppelini. Have you had these? Lithuanian I have. Zeppelini. Yeah. Is hash browns packed around meat. Right. So it's just, what can you do with potatoes and, you know, it's a hearty, it's, yeah. it's a hearty cuisine like, for a harsh winter. Yeah. There, you got you know? volcanoes out of it. You got to make <laughs> zeppelins out of it. Maybe a sausage out of it. Sure. Yeah, a lot of potatoes. Um, anyways, the whole point of going to these restaurants for everyone who gets a reservation is that you feel cool because you're eating these recipes that are, you know, 400, 600 years old. Right. Right. And if you didn't know they were that old, you know, for, frankly, most of our recipes could be that old. Who knows? All right. You know, uh, boiling meat and adding meat and potatoes might be around for a long time for Midwest, lots of families. Midwest uh, little fluff salad would be an ancient, <laughs> ancient recipe of that pistachio pudding mix. Probably yeah, not. I think so. Probably not. Anyways. They didn't have cool whip back in ancient Lithuania. Perhaps they did. And we just don't know about it. Yeah, we're all just... Every Midwest listener right now is thinking of like... Just um, please know, like, if you're not from the Midwest, but if you are, just like savor for a moment that... All of the things that we call salads. Yeah. They're just, they're not salads. No, exactly. If they have marshmallows and maybe those nice pretzels on top, <laughs> uh, perhaps, a, perhaps a strawberry gelatin. Yeah, decoction. not a salad, but we call it that. It's crazy. Salads. Bringing back lots of memories of funeral luncheons. Absolutely. Anyways, what was I saying? We're talking about patrimony of dishes. The whole, the whole point of going to these restaurants is that you know these recipes are ancient. Right. 
and and that someone actually bent over backwards to get all these spices and go through all this preparation because you were serving the king yeah. or the royal figures, right? And you know, m- many of these spices we can probably just go get in any average grocery store today. But for back then, you know, these spices and preparing these meats, you know, th- this was quite an expense. Right. And so you step into these restaurants, you know, knowing this is kind of a once in a lifetime experience to step into kind of a patrimony mm. of of European history, a right. patrimony certainly of cuisine and food history. Um, and you just kind of feel cool about it, right? Kind of flex, yeah. Yeah. And I've been thinking about that. You know, do we have that same appreciation when it comes to the mass? Mm. Like you want to talk about recipes that are ancient. Yeah. Take wine and unleavened bread. <laughs> and not only would you go back to the Last Supper, but like, oh, let's go all the way back to the bitter herbs and unleavened bread of the Passover meal right. with the exodus of Moses and the ancient Israelites. Do we, do we actually look at our meals in their historical value? Mm. You know, cause it's cool to go to a restaurant and say, Oh, I ate a medieval dish. Okay, fine. But do we, do we allow ourselves every Sunday to say, I'm going to step into the patrimony of a meal shared by, um, Christians for 2,000 years in which they gathered around as a community of believers around the altar of sacrifice led by a consecrated priest, you know, who can provide literally the bread of life mm-hmm. as the Holy Spirit is called down upon the gifts and Jesus, you know, Jesus is becoming quite right. present, right. really present uh, in, these, in this miracle called the Eucharist. Do we actually appreciate that patrimony and do mm-hmm. we see ourselves as kind of continuing the legacy continuing the uh to pass the torch on of this ancient ritual this very important soul nourishing meal that 20 centuries have been doing now right does that make sense absolutely yeah last episode i was talking about i think it was last episode talking about my um really just frankly awesome mid-century modern um office over at the school vinyl couches right vinyl couches all the way um, but it's so, it's just so clear in the culture. You see all those different ads for, um, various, uh, what are you doing? Where's my water bottle? Uh, I have no idea. Okay. Keep going. Um, <laughs> if, um, if, if only we would record these with cameras, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> you someday you'll see all these just kind of like nostalgic things, right? Like there's been this move toward, you know, having like more, I don't know, like 1800s type of mustaches or beards with kind of the craft that goes into that or the craft that goes into beer making or whiskey distilling and all, all these different things that are very nostalgic and kind of crafty and going back to leather working and all these different things. Um, it just shows a deep hunger for rootedness and patrimony. We've talked about this before, mm-hmm. but in a, in, I almost said the word growingly again, like I did a couple episodes ago. Uh, hey, you're, you're our, expanding our vocabulary I with am, your new words. As our culture continues to become more disconnected, disjointed, and um, uprooted, we're just so hungry for that patrimony. And I don't think we realize, especially in just kind of the average parish setting, that we are tapping into this patrimony. We're almost so focused on the immediate of what is the priest going to preach? Am I going to be kind of enthralled by that? Am I going to be in some ways moved or at best entertained by the music um, or by the whole environment and the experience? Um, and am I going to be just kind of more or less distracted most of the time? Mm-hmm. That's usually, we, we're so focused on the immediate when we're at mass. What is that? It's maybe we're not even considering that we're stepping back. Um, and I'm so grateful for our church here that has just very beautiful Gothic kind of appointments of the high altar and rare dose that 
kind of allow that, um, allow your mind and heart to be uh, moved by the patrimony that's present there. But because these were literally saved from the old church. Yeah, these, I mean, these are 150 year old German wooden hand carved statues saved from the old church that came over from the old country that were, that, that were built by German architects themselves mm-hmm. um, with some of the stained glass that's been um, utilized from a former church in the East Coast in this, in this building. Um, that really helps with a patrimony. Mm-hmm. Some of us find ourselves in more contemporary styles of architecture that don't as clearly connect to the patrimony of the past. Um, but I think it's important to realize our, as our identity as Catholics, the more we feel outcast from society, the more we need to reconnect with the roots, not to go back in some nostalgia to try to live in the past, but to allow just like every age in the past has that patrimony to influence um, and really just give us kind of sure up our foundation so that we have something to build from. Mm-hmm. Well said. Yeah. Thanks. Beautiful expose on yes. patrimony yes. in the church Absolutely. and the role of liturgy. But I, I think that especially hits home, as I say earlier, with the Eucharist, right? Mm. Um, the entire the entire prayer liturgy, the Eucharistic prayers themselves, mm-hmm. are, are rooted in these ancient texts that unite us to the very last supper and the words of institution that Jesus gave. Um, but but the, the gestures themselves and the actions of breaking bread together and drinking from the wine, the, the fruit of the vine, all of that, you know, it links us to the very actions of worship and prayer that 20 centuries of Christians have been undertaking. Mm. And that gave them food for the journey mm-hmm. that, that equipped them for lives of holiness, that Hero- made them heroic saints. lives that made them saints. Exactly. Um, and I wonder how many of us appreciate that. Mm. Like when you just step into the pew on Sunday morning, you know, and everyone's probably like just crutch, you know, you're trying to quiet down your mind and maybe you've got kids cr- crawling all over you or, you're just wondering, oh, I'm hungry. When am I going to have a brunch? Right. Have we have we really stepped into the fact that I am entering into an ancient uh, meal here, mm-hmm. a sacred a sacred liturgy that is unfolding a miracle on this altar and is linking me to every single generation of of Christian that has come before me. Mm-hmm. But lest somebody be kind of caught up in, well, okay, then this is just trying to remember kind of like, it's just, it's just a nostalgia, like one of these restaurants Mm -hmm. that description has been made of the mass and has been made of the church has been made of Jesus itself, ever ancient yet ever new. Sure. That's so helpful. That's what the patrimony of the church really is about. It's ever ancient realizing that we have these roots that go back so far that keep us rooted to the vine over of the church over centuries, but it's ever new because the Holy spirit's constantly at work Mm -hmm. and the Lord is alive and is living. Um, and is not just lost in history. We don't just think back on the stories of the past. Um, as the Jewish anamnesis would say, as we remember in the Eucharistic prayer, the way that the Jews would tell stories was that those things of the past would become present yet again, that receives so much more completion with Jesus in the Eucharist that, as we remember the Last Supper through the priesthood, through the sacrament of the Eucharist, he becomes present with us, right. living and moving um, to bring about new conversion, new discipleship, new ministries, right. but rooted in the past, rooted in our patrimony that's still flowing from the source. Right. That, that ever ancient, ever new uh, phrase that you use, that's exactly what distinguishes these medieval restaurants from the Mass, right? Mm. Like when you go to these restaurants in Vilnius or in Istanbul, you're not stepping into the actual royal household. Right. You know, the royalty of the Middle Ages aren't coming back to life and we are reliving the glory of the palace. 
all you're doing is tasting their recipes. The mass is very different, right? Mm-hmm. In real time, uh, he who is ever ancient but always new is becoming once again alive and ready for you for the taking. He is freshly there for your for your uh, sacramental nourishment, and he's there once again for the encounter of divine love. Right. It it you're you're stepping into divine time outside. Well, you know God doesn't really have time, but in a sense, you're stepping out of outside of earthly time to meet the one who is always fresh, always new. Right. And so we don't have to go back and necessarily recreate the past. We stay rooted, um, but the past is always becoming present once again as we encounter the living Lord. Yeah, just for all listeners, I hope that really inspires you the next time you go to Mass, which is hopefully this Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> give you a little challenge there. If you weren't planning to go, go to Mass. Um, allow that to kind of inspire your mind and your heart as you pray at Mass or even as you begin Mass. Um, to realize that what we're about to do is what Christians have always done. Right. Uh, that can just make it so much more than just what am I going to get out of this immediate experience. Exactly. Well said. Well, Father Travis, I think we've made our listeners hungry. They're going to go look for a mountain or a volcano of mashed potatoes right now. And they will devour it with nostalgia. So thanks for, <laughs> thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time, and God bless.